sheep easier to run, making pasture production more flexible and responsive to rain, making the most of multiple lamb-bearing ewes. These are a few of the issues that have been identified as key areas of productive gain for sheep producers right across Australia and a feature of the recent Sheep Easy Day run by the AWI Extension Network in Western Australia, the sheep's back. Well, widespread rain would be more welcome than anything, obviously. And our thoughts are with everyone continuing to endure this horrific drought. But planning a better and easier sheep production system for better times is proving to be a valuable exercise, as is hearing from those who have stepped this path before. Welcome to The Yarn. This is a podcast for the wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming. So two farmers who spoke at the recent Sheep Easy Day were Zach Roberts and Chris Patmore. Both run highly labour-efficient enterprises in that sort of sheep wheat belt of Western Australia. Chris runs over 4,000 ewes across multiple properties, a long way apart, and says right now, like many, he's facing a really difficult spring. started off fairly late. Um, we got a heck of a lot of rain in a very short time, um, but since then, not much at all, and... As I said during the, the talk today, I can't even make the grass grow in paddocks that haven't got sheep in at the moment. Mm. So how do you uh, how are you looking f- how are you planning for that? Uh, looking ahead, obviously you're on the verge of a spring. Yeah, we're on the verge of a spring, but it's going to have to be a pretty good spring to, to bring us up to anything like average. I think probably at the moment for pasture growth, I'd probably be on decile one or two at the moment. Um, probably as bad as I've seen it, although. Um, we have had other years like this and you know, we get through it. We just can't run as many sheep during the summer. Now, one of the most important things in your presentation was the rem- remote monitoring of uh, water because you have, I think, three or four properties where you run, I think, 4,000 merino ewes um, all by yourself. So what do you use to monitor water, which is uh, so crucial for what you do? Yeah, I've had to develop a fairly comprehensive water monitoring system with cameras mainly and, and tank uh, depth gauges just to, to make, the, make the whole program work a fair bit simpler as far as the, just the monitoring of the stock, which takes up a lot of my time during the summertime. Now, Zach, you've got uh, a, a business that is um, more livestock than cropping, which is quite rare in, in WA. Um, why do you run so many sheep? Uh, yeah, we're 70% stock uh, to 30 crop, and uh, it's just a traditional... That's the way it has been for the... We're, I'm the fifth generation and I think it was always like that so we've just stuck with it and uh, went through the bad times and yeah, now reaping the benefits of the good times. Now this sheep's back day was called Sheep Easy. How do we make sheep easier to run? What's important for you? What, what are you looking at? Uh, well, it's compl- Our system is very complicated with different breeds and uh, yeah, studs and everything so I probably would want to simplify down the track because it's getting a bit time consuming but we use a novel we I went to a course which uh, advanced livestock movement and we through that system of breaking in livestock working with dogs and running them it's quite opposite to the traditional method of just beeping a horn and pushing sheep uh, I can do a lot of work by myself through portable yards drafting uh, with my four dogs and it's made it a lot easier. And Chris, uh, yeah, what did you get out of today in terms of making things easier? Uh, for me it's all about time management. 
I'm, I'm a first generation farmer, although my parents were farmers, but not on the farm I started off on my own. Um, and I've, so far I've been able to keep it to a one man show. So time is critical for me. So anything that I can pick up on days like this that improve my time management is really valuable to me. Um, now a lot of people are talking about uh, Tim, Leaning, Tim Leaming and his precision uh, lambing and containment feeding. Was that something that was interesting for you? Uh, yeah, uh, Tim had a, a pretty good system there. I, I think it's high input and high output. Um, personally, I prefer to keep my operation fairly simple. Um, that way it's a fair bit easier to make it scalable um, and still just running it on my own. Mm. So what's uh, exciting you uh, for the, the future of the sheep industry and particularly wool? Uh, it's been a very profitable industry to be in in the last three or four years particularly. Um, probably probably as good as it's ever been certainly in my lifetime. Yeah. And uh, I think the presentations from today will be uh, made available online but tell us a bit more about... Um, your remote stock watering uh, is that something that you can that is commercially available, or do you invent it yourself? No, I, I um, bought it off the shelf. Um, I first bought my main lot. Actually, it was nine years ago now, so it's not new technology. There's quite a few companies selling it now, all, all over Australia and overseas. Even um, th there's a lot of different types you can buy. Um, but as I said during the, the talk today, none of it is so expensive that it's. Uh, not easily justifiable. It's, it's well and truly worth the effort. Yeah, and so uh, where would you point people to? Uh, I wouldn't like to recommend individual companies. I've, I've got about four that I'm using, um, partly because I just like playing around with this sort of thing, but, but you don't have to be a technical expert to, to use it. You just buy it off the shelf and nail it to a post and, and, it, and it works. Yeah. Uh, do you, you obviously need mobile coverage or is it Wi-Fi or satellite? What does it use? No, the ones I've got are all on, on um, 3G and 4G mobile phone signals, but you don't need very much signal at all to make it work. Right, okay. And high definition cameras or...? Uh, technical questions like that, you're asking <laughs> the wrong person here. <laughs> Enough to be able to see that there's water in the trough and yeah, where the, the level the, in the, the tank is. When, when I look at it on my phone, they're very clear pictures. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Um, now, I know you've got to go to Perth, so thank you very much for uh, joining us on the yarn, Chris, all right. and uh, yep. all the best for the future. Thanks, Marius. Excellent. Safe driving. Thanks. Zach, you don't, you're not allowed to leave that quickly. <laughs> so, okay. Thanks, mate. All right. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, Zach, you, you run 70% stock and 30% crop. Um, tell us a bit about the things that are limiting your uh, sheep enterprise at the moment, the things that keep you up at night. Uh, probably labour, skilled labour. You know, to try and teach someone how to move livestock properly and oh, it's, it's frustrating. And, you know, someone that can go out and actually assess a pasture and know, you know, when to feed, how much to feed. So that's a limiting factor. Does um, so farm automation come into that? Sorry to interrupt, but um, do you think it's possible to run more sheep with um, the labour units you have now or, you, or is the answer to get better labour? Uh, no, I... Listening to Tim Leeming's speech about his, you know, just a sheep feeder with scales and, yeah, you know, you can easily work it out. So, and it's not that hard to do. So that would be my next step, is to just make it idiot proof. Right. You know, have a list and, you know, we've all got, we've got WhatsApp and all these new things on the phone. Everyone's got phones. So, I mean, it can be simple. Mm. So, labour... Is, uh, is a limiting factor um, uh, and I think you said you wanted to breed the ultimate sheep through genomics. 
Oh, so, no, that was, that was what, you know, in the future, and uh, after going to Lamex and listening to Graham Martin, Professor Graham Martin, speaking about CRISPR and gene editing mm. and how the Chinese and the Uruguayans had already developed sheep that he'd had the meat characteristics of a, I think they'd used a texel or something and a merino wool characteristics and grew the same merino fleece, nothing was limited but had the, a lot of meat and just seemed amazing. <laughs> so, so t- tell us about your, what, how much wool does this ideal you cut and how, like, you, when do you join her? Tell us about the key characteristics of your ultimate merino you. Oh, the maternal ability. I, you know, I'm not too happy with the merinos. You know, you do find a few that, you know, the dogs, they will bash up the dogs and, you know, they won't leave their mum. But most of them aren't too good in, good in that respect. So you'd have to have a good maternal aspect, raise, easily raise twins, cut Oh, at least five kilos, uh, feed, feed efficiency through the roof and uh, small frame to, you know, survive on nothing over summer. Yeah, you know, just things like that. Well, I, I reckon now you've put that out there, um, you're going to have stud breeders from around Australia where you say, well, look, we've already got that. Yeah. Come to my place, come to the field day. But, um, yeah, so uh, the, the genetics are available there, but it's just the, the, uh, the matter of uh, well, where, how, how long to get there. Well, it would be, you know, they can do this overnight, you know, in a generation. So that's the appealing bit because yeah. I'm running out of time, you know, I'm time poor. <laughs> now, um, also sheep handlers. You spoke a little bit about the importance of uh, your sheep handler and the, the uh, I think it was the Electra dip that really changed the way you uh, Yeah, that sheep. was... Uh, that paid for itself easily within the first year and it's simple and you know the backpackers I have helping me you know they all stand around and laughing because it's you know no one has to do anything it's quite easy once they're flowing and you have the right setup so it's very good for fly and lice control which makes it easy and then I do have a sheep handler which helps with the stud and the drenching it's just saves everyone's backs and it actually creates a renewed interest within our small workforce. Everyone gets excited when all this gear comes out. There's something, something new and a new toy. Hmm. Um, how do you tackle the uh, the issue of you know this enormous feed gap that um, you often have in in WA? It's a, the feed base issue is uh, is always the number one issue we hear about over here. Oh, we've traditionally had you know Anzac Day drop, and you know for years struggling with that, and this year. I've put lambing, we lamb over three different, it's normally 1st of May, 1st of June, 1st of July, and then this year I've put the majority back to um, middle of June and then middle of July, which is, with this late break, has been a godsend. But uh, nov, like we grow a lot of perennial pastures on our poorer soils, which help with, um, they hold them together and, you know, in autumn the winds, so it stops that, but also gives a valuable uh, feed gap in autumn. And then there's the new tetera, which would grow on the heavier soil and is similar to lucin, but more suited to our environment. It's a much tougher plant. Uh, how many years has that been out? No, it just got released um, last year. Oh, and you're impressed with it so far? Uh, the, it, it was grown in Dandarigan, so we were looking at the trial sites, and it looks, looks amazing, yeah. And uh, how do the sheep graze it? Is it? Do you need to manage it like lucerne? Or is it no, they said uh, it actually responds best under set stocking. So that's why it sounds too good to be true. I'd like to 
see it, you know. I've ordered the scene, so next year it's going in. I'll have to get a bit of an update on that. Yeah. But uh, it sounds, um, sounds quite interesting. Um, and so what for the future for you, Zach? You, it sounds like you, you're very uh, enthused for the future, but there are plenty of challenges ahead as well. I don't think the demand for sheep would, um, is going to decline because you know, we're one of the only countries in the world that produce you know, good wool sheep and we have good meat. And with China expanding and, uh, you know, there's, I don't see people rushing into sheep and it's not going to happen worldwide. So there's always going to be a strong demand. So the future is, there's always going to be a future. With all this new technology coming on, it should become easier and, um, yeah, well, it's already enjoyable, but... More so in the future. So, Zacho, you're, you're a very busy person. Um, thank you very much for your presentation today and your time on the yarn, and, uh, yeah, all the best for the future. Thank you. Zach Roberts, leading sheep producer in WA there. So, better pasture production that Zach has mentioned... Growing more pastures. Now, this is an area where Phil Barrett-Leonard is an expert. He's from Ag Vivo Consultants, and he admits these harder-to-predict seasons are not easy, but there are options. Yeah, I think it's uh, definitely challenging. You know, the last three years in WA have been late breaks, and so it's put a lot of pressure on. Um, and interestingly, the year before that, 2016, was a really early break, and it was probably one of the best years we've had. So... You know, you get that one and you think, wow, this is pretty good. And then we've had these three late breaks that have been really challenging. And, you know, the thing that seems to have been happening more often is we'll get, you know, say a month in winter where we get little or no rain. And that, that gets challenging. You know, you think of winter as being fairly reliable. But um, when you get those periods of no rain, it makes it hard. So I think, you know, some of the old systems we had aren't as reliable as they used to be. So we need to have more diverse systems now. And you've got different elements to it so that you're hedging your bet more. So that, you know, depending on what the season throws at us, we've got something that will respond in a positive way. So I think that's what we need to do, be more diverse, um, have some more robustness in the system to cope. Well, um, I mean, you don't have to speak to too many people in New South Wales who have been supplementary feeding for a very long time, as they have um, in other parts of the, the country, but uh, they haven't been geared up for it in the past. Um, what are some of the species that you think have real promise um, given you've been around a while and you've got uh, great experience in this area. Yep. Um, so, I mean, in WA, we have a reasonably um, reliable pattern, although it's, you know, it is changing a bit, but we tend to have quite consistent winter-spring rains and then we generally have drier summers and, and fairly dryish autumns, but, you know, they, that does change off a bit. So the challenge is always that late autumn, early winter. You know, we've gone through a long period with not much rain, um, stubbles have run out and the annual pastures are yet to come on. So... The one that is quite consistent is the fodder shrubs. So people, you know, it's quite, in this part of the world, Mora, quite a lot of the valleys have been planted to saltbush. And, and it's just great for that time of year to have some saltbush that you can feed some sheep. But, you know, we know that saltbush has been great research done. Saltbush on its own is not that great. You know, it needs to be fed with some other things. So feeding some grain, feeding some straw or hay, having that fresh water, because it is highly saline. You know, so that's a, that's a really great, and it seems to be quite, because it's so deep rooted, it's quite reliable at the autumn. Um, in terms of other plants, a uh, bit of interest in Tudera, which is a new perennial legume, so that's just recently been, been released. And that can provide feed pretty much at any time of year, but will be pretty consistent in that late spring, early summer, and that'll be a really handy time for, say, weaned lambs. 
uh, and probably also some more autumn feed as well and that'll probably vary a bit depending on how much rain we get and how much subsoil moisture so that, there are a few I mean the other things that we, 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 we still, we use a lot of grain in our systems here. And so we've talked a bit about today, a number of speakers talked about confinement feeding. And so that obviously uses a fair bit of grain, but you know, very strategic, you know, do it at that, around that break of the season, get some pastures deferred, and then we don't have to spend as, you know, use as much grain through the winter. So that, that's what people this year, they probably haven't deferred, they're still feeding grain, we're now mid-August. Whereas if we've been able to manage our pastures better earlier, you know, you could cut, that, cut out some of that grain feeding, you know, have enough pasture by now. AWI's been involved with um, looking at uh, other species such as cerradellas. Have you had a bit to do with those? Yes, yeah, definitely. And they, so those annual legumes, I mean, they are, they are wonderful plants, um, very good quality, and I guess they can, they don't always deliver winter feed, and that can, is their slight downfall, and particularly in a tough year, but they are pretty good at giving that spring quality. And so, you know, that's about... So my talk sort of talked about some things for winter, which are a bit more reliable, and cereals were one that really came to the fore there. But those legumes come into their own in spring when we want quality that extends through um, putting condition on the ewe and also getting growth rates in the lamb. So, you know, cerradella, bicerula, you know, subclover still. You know, there's lots of different annual legumes. Vetch is, you know, a bit coming up on the radar in WA now. So uh, those legumes, they're, they're really good. Just that winter thing can be, it's very seasonal dependent. Get a good early break and they're, they're quite productive in winter. Get a late break and, and they're very slow. So just got to keep that in mind. So you mentioned grazing cereals. I mean, Western Australia is the cropping state. Pretty much every wool grower in this country, in this area, of course, is uh, in this state, I should say, is a, is a cropper before they're a wool grower or a um, sheep producer. Um, why don't more people graze crops here? Um, it's certainly a lot more than, than used to. Um, so you know what I was involved in the grain and graze work so that was all about grazing crops that were always intended for grain and I suppose there's always been a bit of a concern that you might muck up the crop you know yeah, and, and take yeah, a yield penalty a, mm. and so you know we've done a fair bit of work around that and so we know the rules now and we know you generally lose a little bit of yield but if you, if you do it poorly you might lose a fair bit more yield so we know those rules but I think what we're coming to now is that there's also a great opportunity to use more cereals just in pastures, just scratch them in, or it's a paddock that's out of crop for a year, sow, par, sow, sow cereal in there. Because um, in that case, you're not worried about any, any yield loss. It's just about getting more extra feed, and in particular that early feed, that's, the, that's the, when it's really critical. You have a late break, you know, that June gets really, really tough, and even into July. So well, I, think it's, I think it's building, um, and I think tough years, again, it's that, you need that diversity. You know, in good years, our annual legumes and things can give us plenty of feed through the winter, but when we've got these tough years, you know, they're not, not delivering enough. So I think we're now building systems with more, more of that robustness, and cereal is just one that it's cheap, it's easy to plant. Everyone's got an air seeder. Everyone's got an air seeder. Yeah, it's a really simple technology. And that's, yeah. simple technologies are the ones that get, really, adopted. get adopted. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, grain and graze uh, is a, f a few years ago now, but yes. um, are you happy with the amount of adoption from that? I mean, it was a big body of work it was a very interesting body of work um, Evergraze is another one I suppose um, where do we find this really interesting um, work is it still online yeah no so the the grain and graze stuff is all online um, thankfully we paid up in advance to keep a website running because that's actually one of the real issues with some of these projects they the information gets lost um, 
And so there's a few, there's, there's one um, I can think of about salt lamb pastures in WA and, and, it, and it was a, an amazing website and it's no longer available. And, and, and there's a couple of those that I can think of in the pasture space that are really good sources of info and they've gone offline. But no, luckily the grain and grey stuff's still there, um, still online. So if you want, want any of that data um, or, or yeah, just give me a ring and speak to me because I've got plenty of that stuff. Oh, it's interesting. Well, it's interesting just the things you pick up. I was walking past a group of farmers and someone said, well, you know, if it rains, I want something green to come up. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a pretty simple way to go yes. about it. But from what you're saying, um, that there are increased um, opportunities, there's flexible and robust systems to do that uh, because we've got to make better use of rain when it falls. Yeah, when it falls, exactly. You don't know when it's going to fall, so you just have to have that system in place that, you know, no matter what gets thrown at you, you know, you've got something there. Yeah. Certainly when you have tough seasons, you know, persistence becomes a real issue because even in an annual, it has to set seed. Mm. And if we have too many tough seasons in a row, there's not enough seed bank left. So that's why something like the cereal thing, it's just a short-term get-out-of-jail card because it's in the silo and you can whack it in. Um, if you know your legume background is low then you have to have something to fill the gap so you know it applies equally you know this rundown I guess is what we talked about at the grasslands mm -hmm. but it can happen in annual pastures too so um, to summarize uh, are you optimistic about uh, the future of the sheep industry and the feed base to feed the to feed the, the sheep industry in in WA and yeah, why yeah I mean optimistic mostly because sheep are very profitable at the moment and you know it's profitable people will come up with ways you know to, to keep feeding sheep so you know it still keeps raining it just is a bit more sporadic and perhaps a bit less than before um, so no very optimistic I just think it's about putting it together putting the systems in place so um, we've just got to you know got to do a bit more work on that it's, you know it's easy to get up and give a talk but we've got to actually, you know, get the systems in place on farm. So for people that are interested in, in what you've just said, where do you, where do you point them to um, in terms of resources in this area? Oh, well, I mean, like the Sheep's Back Network in WA, you know, it's a great resource. Um, um, yeah, there's lots of, you know, field days like today, conferences, you know, there's lo lots of things, you know, to get involved. Um, and learn from other farmers. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very strong on that. I think, I think particularly in pastures, it's a very big area. There's a lot of different species and a lot of different ways you can go about it. You can't beat going out and visiting a number of people and, and, and talking to people and seeing what, they have, you know, what they're doing. So, um, you know, I, I think just to go and come today like today and then make a change, it's probably, you know, it's a bit, bit um, short-sighted. You know, do more homework, get some good advice uh, and, and then implement well, Phil, thank you very much for your time. Um, from someone who's, uh, yeah, very experienced, it's great to hear from what uh, what you have to say and uh, good to hear that you're optimistic about the future because there's, uh, there's lots to be optimistic about. But, uh, yeah, thanks for having a yarn with us today. Yeah, good, thank you. Cheers. All right. at the Sheep Easy Day run by the Sheeps back in WA there. And those continuing on through this seemingly endless dry, there's lots of support for you and resources at wool.com slash drought and we all are just hoping that things change for you soon. Okay, so I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Yarn. Also, thanks for your contact at theyarn at wool.com. From me, Marius Cumming, thanks for your company. 
Catch you again soon.